Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Richard Rohr once said, Nature is the one song of praise that never stops singing. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website, chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, what does it mean to glorify God? And our theme text is found in Psalm 86, verse 12. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. So what does it mean to glorify God? Praise God. Psalm 34 says, Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. As Christians, we often think of glorifying God as an incredibly positive exercise in expression and excitement and joy and passion. Our praise and worship usually bring us to feeling his love and his power. And this in turn, opens us up to a convicted sense of security. All of this is good, but is it the complete picture of what glorifying God is supposed to be? Do our praise and worship sufficiently satisfy the glorifying God equation in our daily lives? What if, what if there was a whole different level of extolling our Creator's character? What if that different level could actually have a profound transforming effect on us. You'd, you'd want to know about that, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, wouldn't anyone want to know? Well, I would hope so. So that's what we want to do today, is look at glorifying God with uh, perhaps some bigger eyes, if you will. So Jonathan, coming up in today's podcast, we all instinctively know that all glory should go to God and His Son, Jesus. And yet, God Himself put others in a position of glory. And some of those others were actually bad guys. Why would God do that? Isn't that a classic self-defeating maneuver? So we're going to touch on that a little bit later on. We'll also talk about a really hard and practical question. We all know we're supposed to glorify God, but what about those times when we're being crushed by tragedy and trauma? Are we supposed to fake it until we make it, put a smile on our face and pretend all is well while we're suffering? What do we do in those cases? But now, right now, Jonathan, to get started, let's figure out what glorifying God or glorifying anything else is all about. How did Jesus handle the task? That's where we want to go right now. So, Jonathan, let's get started just by putting it in perspective. What does it mean to give glory to someone or something? We're going to begin with the New Testament view and definition and understanding. Let's go with that. Glory in the New Testament means what? To render or esteem glorious in a wide application. Okay, so it really is very much what it sounds like. You know, to esteem something glorious, wonderful. I mean, it's, it, so it, it's a pretty simple thing. Um, let's go to a, a um, 
YouTube video from that Christian vlogger, How to Glorify God, Five Ways to Glorify the Lord. And we're going to obviously go through those things one at a time. So this is the first way that he says to glorify God. And he's got, you know, everything is always subject to interpretation, but these are five good concrete things to at least begin a conversation with. Way number one to bring glory to God is through worship. Worship is much more than simply praising or singing or praying. By confining worship to a particular hour on the weekend, then we misunderstand what true worship is all about. True worship has much more to do with the other 167 hours in a given week. I think C.S. Lewis said it best by saying, in commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. You see, worship is a lifestyle of enjoying God, loving Him, and giving ourselves to be used for His purpose. Romans 6.13 says that since God has redeemed us, we are to give our lives as instruments for righteousness. In other words, your day-to-day activity, when done with God in mind, can actually be an expression of worship. Everything from your work, or going to the gym, or your cooking, and even just spending time with your loved ones can be an expression of worship when you keep God in mind as you do them. Okay, game over. He really nailed it on that one, didn't he? He did. I like it. Constantly giving God the glory uh, all day long. Right. Whatever the circumstance, wherever you are, it needs to be first and foremost in our minds. And so, and that, that's an important aspect because we were talking before the podcast started about how in today's world we seem to have gotten away from that constant focus, but we're, you know, we like to quote, I'll recharge when I go to church. And then I'll, (laughs) and then I'll let my battery run dry. No, that's not the way it should be. We should be recharging all the time. Today's podcast is about how to stay in that level. So, look, we can be strong examples that, uh, such strong examples that glory actually flows through us and to God. And there's a scripture in Matthew 5. We're just going to do verse 16, but we're going to expand on the scripture a little bit later. But this is our first scriptural introduction to glorifying God. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, let your light shine that they, that others will see what you're doing and glorify God. We're going to get back to that a little bit later with the rest of the context because it gives a really powerful message all in all. So glory should flow through us and to God. Glory can be sought after and given in the wrong places. And uh, Jonathan, I think one of the things we want to do today is constantly remind ourselves about what is it that we give glory to? Because I think we give glory to things that we shouldn't way more than we think we do. So let's think about the things that we think about so our thinking can be better and more clear thinking. (laughs) that's a mouthful (laughs) (laughs) okay Matthew 6 1 to 4 about getting giving seeking glory and giving it in the wrong places Matthew 6 1 to 4 beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them otherwise you have no reward with your father who is in heaven so when you give to the poor do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And Rick, a personal example. 
um, at our church meetings, there's a box left in the back of the room. And when my wife and I give, we donate. Uh, we don't write a check with our name on it. We, we put cash in so that the treasurer doesn't even know if we gave. Um, and going beyond that, um, Uncle Sam doesn't know that we gave. <laughs> it's all a secret. The Lord knows. And he's the one that counts. Now, donating and giving um, in a box is only just one small way of giving to the Lord. But we do it that way because we, we don't want anyone to know what, what we give and the Lord knows. So let your giving be in secret. And that's, that's really what Jesus is saying. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, obviously, that's not a literally translated thought. Um, you know, he, what he's saying is be very, very subtle and quiet about it and not like the hypocrites in the synagogues that, you know, sound a trumpet. Here I come to save the day. You know, I'm going to give to the poor and everyone should be acknowledging my and giving. And go, wow. Right, right. See, they did. They, you've got the glory. You've got the blessing that you were seeking. You've got the adulation of men. And Jesus is saying, that's not what we want. What we want is our giving to to be uh, blessed by God, by him and him alone, in his time, in his way, and nobody else needs to know. So your father's who sees what's done in secret, when it's done with the right heart attitude and in, in, in a scripturally sound manner, is going to bless you. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to give you money back or no, ten times the amount of money. No, he's doesn't. going to spiritually bless you. That's what this is all about. Okay, so key glory point is don't be looking for glory from others. Don't be looking for honor and praise because it's a waste of time. That's not what we're, we're supposed to be about. Jesus, as a matter of fact, had a way of getting glory to go where it belonged. I love this next scripture uh, because there's this, there's this sense of order in this next text that helps us to understand the way things should be. Now, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God, and he's in the process of healing somebody. This is Matthew 9, verses 6 through 8. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Okay, so Jesus heals this guy. Get up your bed, get, go get up, pick up your bed and go home. He does it, and the crowd, and, and the word is, they're awestruck. But what do they do? Do they look at Jesus and say, man, you're the best guy ever? No, they glorify God, which is what Jesus wanted them to do. Right, <laughs> they glorify God who had given such authority to men. They, the people, understood this is from God. It's through that man named Jesus. Give God the praise that that man named Jesus could do this incredible thing. And the Israelites knew that prophets of old could do miracles. Yes. And they always honored God because of the prophets doing God's will. So this was, they were just naturally ready in line to say, wow, this is from God. Right, right. And, and that's something that we're missing. Because in the society we live in, we're ready to glorify the person, glorify the act, glorify and make somebody a hero. And look, it's nice to have heroes in life. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong on that. But the, the point 
is to glorify God. So, Jonathan, as we go through our conversation today with what does it mean to glorify God, part of glorifying God is singing praises, is, is hymns. It's, it's that emotional surge that you get from hymns. So each segment, we're just going to play one or two parts of a hymn, just small little parts to give us a sense of that feeling of glory. So let's listen to this. just makes you want to get up and sing, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. You know, and, and see, that's, that's part of the equation. It, there's no question about it. Part of the equation is that, is that emotional engagement in, in, in song and, 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 and in verse to, to just get, your, get yourself set and, and feeling it. There's nothing wrong. It's good to feel it. But, it that's, right. but that's not where it ends. And if that is where it ends in our lives, then we've got a lot of work to do in terms of glorifying God. So one more God-glory uh, lesson here for this first segment, Matthew 15, verses 29 to 31. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And again, that's exactly what you said previously. Jesus is this healing machine, and he's going and he's doing this incredible work with the lame and the crippled, the blind and the mute and many others. And, and as many as they laid at his feet, he healed them all. And the beauty of this lesson is that the response of the people was glory to God. And honoring God was Jesus' priority right. in his walk. Right, right. And, and so there's a hint as to how glory needs to be handled when you do something that looks glorious. And look, we do. We can have opportunities to do things that look glorious to others. And there's, that's a good thing. But where does the glory end up? Does it come to us? Or should we have it flow through us and keep right on going to where it belongs? So, Jonathan, we have our first Giving God Glory lesson. I'm going to have one at least each segment. What's the one for the first segment here? Well, Rick, glory can be common and carelessly placed. Giving and receiving it require care and conscience. Okay. Glory can be common and therefore carelessly treated. You know, when, in, in our world, everybody's looking for attention. You know, and we are in a, in a, especially now we're in a me society where the more attention I can get, the better off I am. Well, not really, but that's the way we think. So we can be very careless with that. But the kind of glory we're talking about needs care and conscience to be placed properly. It doesn't mean that you don't compliment somebody, and we'll, and we'll, we'll expand that as we go a little further. 
But what it does mean is that we've got to make sure our glory is ultimately moving up towards God, because that, as a Christian, is where it needs to be for us. So, there sure is a lot more caution regarding glory here than there is out there in the world. If God should receive glory from us, then why did God give glory to enemies of his chosen people? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side... Time to go in reverse with a CQ contradiction. One thing that we as Christians must focus on is clarity in our assigning glory here or there. God, as we shall see, operates on a different level than us. His assigning of honor may be temporary or it might be permanent and drive his eternal plan however he wants to drive it. Whereas our assignments of honor should be in response to an agreement with his eternal plan. So in other words, Jonathan, we can't, and we're, we're going to see some pretty odd things in this segment. We're going to see we are <laughs> God giving glory and going to say, what, really? He did what? <laughs> and folks, don't try this at home. Okay, That's really what we're going to say about this, because God is God, we are not. Um, so let, let's start, though, with just setting our, our minds with that magnifying God approach. Let's use Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boasts in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. All right, let's take a moment. Let's exalt his name together. Oh, that just makes me so happy. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, love you, it. You hear something like that, and, and, it, and it just it changes you. It changes from the inside out, and, and especially when you listen to the words. You know, so glory to God was a direct result of the birth of Jesus. Because, you know, that's what the angels said. Glory that's to, right. Glory to God. I mean, this is something huge. This is something big. This is something world-changing. Yes, God deserves glory for those things. All right. So we've got that little bit of boost to get us started, and now let's get down to the business of uh, glory in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, it was pretty simple. It, you know, to, to the word for glory, let me just go back here, you know, to render <laughs> glorious. Glorious, yes. Right. Okay. Old Testament, though, the word is just strange. What does it mean? 
Orek, it means to be heavy. That is, in a bad sense, burdensome, severe, dull, or in a good sense, numerous, rich, honorable, causatively, to make weighty. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of extra stuff, extra fluff here in this word that you say, wait a minute, the word for glory means all of that? Yes. And, you know, it's translated honor and uh, glory, and it's translated heavy and hardened and sore and uh, made heavy. I mean, you think, wow, that's a strange, strange thing. We're going to examine that in just a few minutes. So in the Old Testament, we want to look at how God how God actually passed glory on to others in certain circumstances. Before we do that, though, let's go back, uh, or let's go to what is the difference between praise and worship from gotquestions.org. And here he just lists out the differences. What, what, what does praise look like? What does worship look like? And what are some of the subtle differences between the two? Presented as boisterous, joyful, and uninhibited, God invites praise of all kinds from his creation. Jesus said that if people don't praise God, even the stones will cry out. When the Bible mentions worship, however, the tone changes. We read verses like, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, and come, let us worship and bow down. Often worship is coupled with the act of bowing or kneeling, which shows humility and contrition. So praise is much more outward. Worship can be much quieter, uh, much more contemplative, um, much more meditative. But both of them are really important. That's right. They work together. Right. And, and, and the worship part is a building block for life. If we can understand that worship is one of the big building blocks for our Christian lives, our lives can actually change. Because then you start to think of, how can I worship God now? How do I worship God now? See, praising God, that, praising God isn't always going to happen. Worship, I maintain, can always happen at some level. So let's see if we can expand that as we go. The following psalm verses um, will be considered throughout the rest of the podcast. Okay, Psalms 86, we're going to go verses 8 through 12 throughout the podcast, sort of taking a verse at a time. But let's start with 86 verses 8 and 9. And there's a really specific reason why we chose this particular psalm and these particular verses, and we'll get to that next segment. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Rick, what an amazing prophecy, God's plans revealed. But many of these people are heathen, non-believers, and God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what this psalm is saying. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's talking about glorifying God in a very big way, not just by those who are the Jewish nation at that time, but it says, all nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. That's an awfully big and powerful picture. Oh, it is, Rick. Of worship and and therefore glorifying God. So God will receive glory from all men as his plan unfolds. But for now, sometimes, sometimes God acts in a way that we might consider a little bit strangely. So we need to set the context for that um, here. Let's go to Exodus chapter 8. 
verse 32, and the context is, this is when Israel is, um, is captive in Egypt, and the negotiating is going on between Moses and Pharaoh. Let my people go. Okay, no, never mind. Let my people go. Okay, okay no, never mind. What happens here? Exodus 8.32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Okay. It says Pharaoh hardened his heart. What does that word hardened mean? Rick, that's the same word for um, glory in the Old Testament. Okay. So, and again, remember one of the definitions was to be heavy. Okay. Yes. So, so, yeah, carry a lot of weight. Yes, exactly. So Pharaoh gave his heart weight to sway his thinking. And I think that's what we have to see here. Pharaoh was very focused on this is what I want in my heart, and I don't care what it, feel, what it feels like outside of that or what it sounds like logically, this is what I'm going to do. So I think the shade of definition that we use here is he gave his own heart weight, and Pharaoh was the centerpiece of what was going to happen. This should be a real warning for how we think. Okay, a real warning. Jonathan, before I get to asking you a specific question on this, looks like we have a comment of sorts, and Trish has arrived. So, hi, Trish. Hello. This is a Facebook comment, Rick. It says, When the way we live points the non-believer to begin to entertain the possibility that maybe Christ is real, I think that is one of the best ways we can glorify God, directing others toward him. Likewise, when someone gives us credit for something and we tell them it wasn't us, but it was God, this also glorifies God. Of course, there are many things that glorify him, but to me, these are good means to glorifying our Father. All right, good. good great comment. Thanks, Trish. Great comment from Facebook about putting, putting these in perspective. And, you know, one of the things he, he said in this comment was, hey, tell someone else about God, even if it's a line or two. That gives him glory, even if they don't want to listen. You know, okay, so then you change the subject. You don't offend them, but you glorify God by wanting to put God out in front of others. Great practical way. Absolutely. Very, very, very much so. All right, so let's get practical at this point. So we just looked at Pharaoh hardening, centering, giving weight to his own heart. How do we handle the very real and powerful reasonings of our own hearts and minds? Do we glorify them? What do you think? Well, Rick, we need to have a right heart attitude. Uh, I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, so kind of what you're saying there then is that our handling the real and powerful reasoning of our own mind has to be in check, has to go through the pathway of what that text just said about putting God first. That's right. Okay, go ahead. And Colossians 3.23, another favorite. Whatsoever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. Okay, so again, the powerful reasoning of our own minds, whatever we're doing, okay, go for it. But can whatever it is you're doing be done as unto God? And let me, let me just state, some, state the obvious, but I think it might need to be stated. Sometimes in our lives, we might be doing something that's not very good. Or bad, okay? <laughs> you know, something that might even be evil. You can't do that as unto God. It doesn't work. So checking our actions and then taking our actions and, and focusing them on something that is godly and then, like that scripture says, do it heartily. 
That's how we can handle the real powerful reasoning of our own minds because it gives glory to God. What else? And Rick, even if God says no to our requests in prayer, we need to have the attitude to say yes to God's choice. He said no, so that's good because he knows better than I do. So yeah, his will be done, not mine. Yeah, but I didn't get what I wanted. (laughs) Hey, what about an improper attitude of murmuring and complaining? That doesn't. (laughs) glorify God. So okay. So you, that. you told me, <laughs> well, and, but see, Jonathan, that's where we end up too often and too easily, but it, this is what I want. Okay. But is it in line with the most important thing in your life to do the will of God through Christ, to be a footstep follower of Jesus? That's how we monitor our giving glory to God. So quote from Norman Vincent Peale. The trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. That is just brilliant. And it's so true. Just tell me the good. Tell me the good. Tell me the good. I feel like I need to be a little bit more puffed up than I already am. Tell me the good. <laughs> but see, that's human nature. Human nature doesn't like criticism. And so, but you know what? Criticism is important. Criticism, properly given, can glorify God properly given. Let me, let me give a quick example of how to give good criticism. I, I don't know. I heard this from somebody. I didn't make this up. This is way too brilliant for me to have made up. Okay. The way to properly criticize, and I think we've talked about this before, is to make a sandwich. Okay. Let's, let's imagine a peanut butter sandwich. Now, peanut butter is gooey, right? Yes. Now, you don't want to hold peanut butter in your hands, do you? No. Okay. But you'll hold a piece of bread. Oh, absolutely. And then you'll hold another piece of bread Yeah. and put the peanut butter in between. Mm-hmm. Picture peanut butter as the criticism. Take a nice, clean, compliment, uplifting thought as the base for that criticism. Make that uplifting thought first to the person that needs to be criticized because you want to be constructive. Slap the, the, the criticism on top of that uplifting thought and then put another uplifting thought on the other side of it. And now it's something you can hold. And a lot of times we say, well, they're not going to remember the criticism. Oh, yes, they are but they're going to remember it like they got hit with a velvet hammer, like, ow, that might have hurt, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. But see, it, it really works. I've, I've had opportunities, many opportunities to, to use that in life. So criticism is a good thing. It can be a glory to God if, if it's done in love, if it's done heartily, like one of the scriptures you were talking about, in relation to God's will. Okay, let's get back to Pharaoh. We kind of got sidetracked. Sorry, that was my fault. <laughs> um, let's get back to Pharaoh. Remember, he hardened his heart. He gave it a lot of weight. What happens in Exodus chapter 10, verse 1? And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these my signs before him. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What is that word, Hardened. It's the same word for glory in the Old Testament. So, now let's get this straight. Pharaoh's the bad guy. God essentially quotes, and I'm doing air quotes here. I know you can't see it, but there they are, okay? (laughs) God glorifies Pharaoh. What he does is he makes his heart front and center. And he says, it's not like he's changing Pharaoh's mind or heart. He's recognizing Pharaoh's heart and saying, okay, you want that. I know what's in your heart. I will allow what's in your heart to be the overriding factor in what you do. So God glorified Pharaoh's heart. 
Why would God do that? Well, let's go a little further. Exodus 14, four more chapters, verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So I will harden. In that, in that verse, the, that word harden is different. It means strengthen, right? Right. So I'm going to give Pharaoh's heart strength to do what he wants. And by that, I, God Almighty, will be honored eventually. See, God put Pharaoh's heart in a center position of authority. Why would God do that, Jonathan? Why? Well, God always does the most important thing at any given moment. Giving sin permission to dominate leads to its downfall. And God is so wise to allow it to do so. And, you know, it's all for God to decide to let evil reign, not for us. That's right. We don't get to do that. We never get to do that. We are not God. So we've got to keep that in absolute clear perspective. But God always does the most important thing to, to make his plan work. And to honor Pharaoh at that moment made his plan work. It showed everyone who God really, really was. So let's go back to that Christian vlogger. And uh, remember he said worship was the first step in uh, giving a, a, um, a way to glorify God. Here he's going to talk about what he considers to be a second step. The second way to glorify God is simply by loving others. Over and over, Christians are told to love each other. In fact, Jesus not only commanded us to love, he even said that our love for others was the exact key way that people would know that we belong to him and are his disciples. Now, when we love other people well, we reflect the goodness of God and we bring glory to him through our actions. I remember one day when I was quite young having an elderly woman compliment me. I just waited what felt like an eternity for her to make her way across the entryway to a store because I was holding the door open for her. After thanking me, this uh, grandmother type person complimented me by saying, your parents raised you right. You see, in the same manner, the way that we treat other peoples will either bring glory or shame to God. You know, and, and that's, a, that's a great example, you know, and it's, it's a very old-fashioned example, holding the door open for an, an elderly lady. You know, it took her forever to get there, but he stayed with it. You know, and God is glorified by taking your moments and giving them to others. And God is also glorified by what she said to him. Hey, your parents raised you right. In other words, I appreciate that you were patient to wait for me. That is a wonderful thing, a really human thing to do. And Jonathan, inevitably, all of the highest level of human activity inevitably will end up being a glory to God. That's right. That's right. And we're told to love our neighbors and then even to love our enemies. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a glory to God. That's not an easy glory, granted, no, but right. it... But it's, it is a glory to give. So our next giving God glory lesson is what? Even as God centralizes and seems to glorify the power of sin and its prom promoters now, we must without question glorify God for his powerful and eternal justice. Okay. Now, one of the things we want to focus on is going through the attributes of God as we go through this exercise in glorifying God. And God's justice was shown in giving Pharaoh honor and allowing Pharaoh's honor to be his own downfall. That's the justice of God because Pharaoh stood against him. So even though God seems to let bad things happen 
and he does, and he glorifies them, we don't question his ultimate power and his eternal justice. That is really a powerful thought. This brings us to a whole new level of understanding glory. We have to really pay attention. Having seen God's glory in dealing with sin, what will we see of his glory as he deals with me? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. One of the amazing reasons to continually glorify God is the fact that no life is seemingly too insignificant for him to bless. Sometimes we may see ourselves as broken and empty vessels, while God actually sees us as vessels with the potential to carry His grace and reflect His glory. All right, Jonathan, given the choice, which approach sounds better to you, to see yourself as a broken vessel or one that can carry His, his grace and reflect His glory? Take your time. Oh, uh, <laughs> the second one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and, it, and it, it's, it's a humorous question to ask, but I submit to you, that many of us go through our every day seeing ourselves as that broken and empty vessel that, right. that, is, that feels kind of useless, that feels like it's not capable or doesn't have the energy to, to glorify God. And I really believe that if we just begin to set our mind in a different direction, the glorifying of God can come on a regular daily basis, even out of our, our lack of energy or our lack of opportunity or... Um, out of our sickness or whatever it is we're dealing with. No matter what your state, you can still give glory to God somehow. So remember we talked about Psalm 86, 8 to 12? Yes. And I told you there was a very specific reason that we chose this, this verse mm-hmm. and it was going to come up in this segment? Yep. Yeah, well, I was wrong. I meant, I meant the next segment. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's re- read <laughs> verses 8 and 9 again, and then let's focus on verse 10. And I promise it is coming the next segment. <laughs> Oops. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Okay, so that's what we we dealt with so far. Now the next verse brings another dimension. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. And that's the thing. We let God stand alone and above in all of our days and all of our experiences. So let's just take another glory moment here and just bask in it. Here we go. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So love the world that He gave us His Son. Who yielded His life and atoned for sin. And open the light gates that all may go
Boy, that'll wake you up, huh? <laughs> you know, but it's it's such a, a powerful tool to 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 have the rhythm and the melody and the words going through your head. And you know, Jonathan, one of the, one of the great blessings for me in 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 this past week in preparing this particular podcast was trying to figure out what hymns to use. And oh, what a task it was to listen to this hymn and to that hymn, and then to have to decide because <laughs> <laughs> they're all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and then and then how many mornings this past week I'd wake up with one of those hymns just going through my head and nice. just, just a sense of refocusing. So in our daily lives, if we feel like that broken vessel that can't do anything, one of the things that we can do is start to put praise inside of our heads. It doesn't necessarily have to show on the outside, but if it's going around on the inside, I promise you something is going to show on the outside. So we've got to glorify God in our character. Glorify him by being who you are called to be. Let's go back to that Matthew scripture. Remember, we just quoted part of it about being the light of the world. Well, let's do a little bit more context. Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 and 14, and then verse 16. But you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. There's a lot of powerful stuff here. It is, uh, Rick, and we have to let our character shine through in everything that we do. And I, and I love the attributes of the different um, things that salt represents. It's a preservative of truth, a preserver of truth. It's an antiseptic to heal. Uh, like you say, you think you're a broken vessel, yet you have to raise yourself, lift yourself higher to to know that you have value in God's sight. Um, it's a seasoning. They used salt for sacrifices uh, in the Old right. Testament. Uh, it was even an incense offering, and it also means in the Old Testament a covenant of friendship. And, I, I love that. And, and and salt is one of the most common things in the world, and it has all of these incredible uses. And it's used to say you are the salt of the earth. And it says, you know, let your character shine. Let your Christ-like character shine. The other part of your character, let's put a cover over that one, shall we? <laughs> Seriously, you know, glorify God. Let, let the Christ-likeness be what comes out from you. So, so Jonathan, what's got to happen for us to become salt, like you just described, all of those attributes, and a shining light for those who are around us and the, those who see us? What, what has to happen? Well, first, Rick, God had to call us to walk in Jesus' footsteps. Secondly, we had to answer that call and make a covenant with God to do his will. Okay. Then, then God gives us the Holy Spirit, which is his influence and power. And with that, we develop Christ-likeness. Okay. So God takes a step. Then we have to take a step. Exactly. So for this to happen, there's action required God first, but us to be responding. Okay. What else? Well, thirdly, we need to learn his plan for us and others through his word, and to be in harmony with that plan. Fourth, we are to serve him with others, with those of like precious faith, just like Jesus and his disciples. Okay, so then we have to act on the action and seek others out who see it the same way and act with them. So this 
this this development, this becoming soft and this becoming a shining light doesn't just happen when you're sitting by yourself at home, you know, praying to God, oh God, please help me to be the light of the world. It is by being engaged with the brotherhood, with those of the same faith and the same character-driven Christ-likeness that helps us to get there. Anything else? Yeah, just lastly, we want to share the good news that Christ died once for all to be testified in due time. That is glorifying God to show what the verses in the Bible describe what Jesus' sacrifice truly meant. Okay, all right. So five basic points that help us to understand what it takes to take the Scripture— and make it into our life. There's an idea for you. You read the scripture and you don't say, wow, that's a nice scripture. You say, how do I make this my life? And this is how we glorify God. Let's go back to that Christian vlogger and his five steps to glorifying God. The first one was worship. The second one was love. And now we go to his third one. Third way to glorify God is to become more like Christ. Becoming more like Christ isn't really just limited to your morals and actions. You see, the more that we become like Christ, the more we begin to think, feel, and act like Him as well. The Bible says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. One of my favorite authors mentions that our character is made up of our thoughts and our feelings. And you see, as we become more like Christ, then that means that our thoughts and our feelings should become more aligned with His. Our hearts begin to yearn for the same thing that Christ's heart yearns for. So the character is made up of thoughts and feelings, and I would, I would add to that that our character is expressed through our actions. So, Jonathan, if we are going about our lives and the things that we do are not particularly glorifying to God, but we go to church on Sunday and we're very holy and we're very get it and you know, we can really fit in and we feel so energized, our character is what we are actually we're expressing our character during the week. That's right, we are. So all we're doing, and I hate to say this, but, well, no, actually, I don't hate to say this. This is important to say. All we're doing on Sunday is playing a game. We're playing a mind game to rationalize ourselves, to be able to act differently. What we do on Sunday should be what who we are on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So big, big, and that's how you glorify God. You take his word and you make it work in your life. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And don't forget to look in the mirror every day and remember you're Christ-like. Yeah. See, I, 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 love, I love the way you said that. Remember that you are Christ-like. Now, but what if I'm not? Well, remember that's what you're called to be. Remember that's what your goal is. Remember that's what you're striving for. And we've got to look at it and focus on it and move towards it. Otherwise, we never get anywhere. Great little quote, very short quote from Catherine the Great. Talk about glory, huh? (laughs) I praise loudly, I blame softly. And I think there's something very special about that, you know, to make sure, because that indicates that we want to be able to, to build others up. And, you know, Jonathan, there's nothing wrong with giving some praise to others that are around us that help us out. You know, if you see something good, it's good to say, hey, what you did was really powerful for me. Thank you. Because that helps the person who did that thing know that, hey, it made a difference. And oftentimes when we do that, you know, part of our response is, well, thank you, by God's grace, that was able to happen. Absolutely. And that's true. So glory given to God by way of a character that is unmovable, 
when it comes to serving God's purpose. This is how we glorify God, a character that's unmovable when it comes to serving God's purpose. Let's go to one of those unmovable examples of Peter and John in Acts 4, 18 uh, to 21. And they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. So Peter and John get into trouble, into legal trouble, for preaching the gospel and preaching Jesus. And they are told, essentially, stop it. You hear me? Stop it. And I love Peter's response. He said, okay, look, you be the judge. Are we supposed to listen to God or to you? (laughs) Take your time. Think about that. I know it's a tough one. But, you know, there's such power in his conviction. And the problem that the authorities had was that the people were glorifying God as a result of Peter and John. That's right. And that was a wave that they just couldn't stop. And so Peter and John just went on doing what they were called to do. And the people, again, you know, it's interesting how often the people of Israel show up and are glorifying God in in this examination of giving God glory. Because, you know, a lot of times we look at Israel and say, oh, look at all the mistakes. Yeah, but look at all the times they glorified him as well. That's right. That's right. So a lot to learn here. Okay, another example of glory. Glory given to God by way of someone who dramatically lived a changed life once called to Christ. And, And, you know... There's lots of examples you can see you know, in, in your life around you, people who've lived one way and then changed dramatically and, and became somebody different. Well, this is an example of someone who was diametrically opposed to the cause of Christianity and became one of the greatest leaders of Christianity of all time. And who was that? That was Saul that turned to Paul. <laughs> and he describes himself a little bit here in Galatians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. And this is interesting about another way of glorifying God. Then I went into the region of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So, he is able to say, they glorify God because of me. But he's not saying, they glorified God because I'm so great. They're saying, they glorified God because I was so awful. And by the grace of God through Jesus, I was saved from that and became a minister of that gospel. And his words and his zeal and his teaching was amazing to them because it was so sincere. Right. And and it touched deeply people's hearts, and they were glorifying God because of this man that life totally turned around. And, you know, the thing is, and he said that, and it was okay for him to say that, because he's showing you the path that he came through and the glory given to God because of it. He's not saying, and they were patting me on the back and saying to me, congratulations, Paul, you're such a great guy. He's saying they glorified God. 
And folks, that's what we need to do. Our lives, our zeal, our passion, our studies, our interchanges, our fellowship, our, our, our witnessing should all have that same kind of passion wherever it's possible. Jonathan, let's take another glorify God moment, shall we? Because we just need to get recharged. We shall. I love it. I just love it. You know, folks, allow yourself to feel it. That's not what drives giving glory to God, but it certainly helps to to motivate us. That's right. Let's use the tools and be motivated. Glory goes to God or should go to him naturally. After all, look at who we are. You know, if you're a Christian, this next verse is for you. I read this verse and I think, yeah, this reminds me of just how... Totally awesome I am without God. <laughs> Let's read this verse, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. So our resume before being servants of God, Jonathan, is not great. Well, we're the dregs of the world. Great. <laughs> but if we glorify God, I'm all right with that. You know? I'm, I'm in. I'm in. So, so what's our giving God glory lesson to wrap up this segment? Even as God seems to be so foolish to the world by calling out those who are not worldly wise, we give his wisdom ever more glory by becoming ever more Christ-like. See, that's the key. Become ever more Christ-like and give him ever more glory. So, the more genuinely humble we are, the better the opportunity to reflect God's glory. What about when we are facing trauma and tragedy? Is it even possible to glorify God when such things happen? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. By now, we realize that the act of glorifying God is not just an emotional reaction. It is most importantly a chosen response. If we continue in a faithful path, our life experiences can be a looking glass for others to look through and see firsthand why God is so completely worthy of being given glory at all times and in all challenges. So, Jonathan, in this segment, we're going to go through the difficult stuff and face 
the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties. And here is where we get to that piece of Psalm 86, verses 8 through 12, that is just, to, to me, when I saw this line and it sunk in what it, what it meant into my thick head, it was like, this has to be one of the themes. So let's just read verse 10, and then we'll just go on to verse 11, which, which holds the secret in my mind. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Okay, so that was the verse that we talked about uh, last segment as, as our kickoff. Verse 11 now. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Okay. Walk through trial when you have trials in God's truth with a united heart. You, he, the psalmist says, unite my heart to fear your name. And Jonathan, go, go ahead, I'm sorry. How do we unite our own hearts? Well, this is, this is really important, especially when you go through trials. And we're going to play a verse from a hymn, uh, the, and I'm going to tell you, the, the, it's the first verse of It Is Well With My Soul. And the author of this hymn wrote this hymn after he lost his wife and children uh, when a ship sank in the ocean. And he was totally devastated. And the, the story is that he was on a ship long after that, that first ship sank. And when his ship got to the place where, where he lost his family, this is the hymn that he wrote. This is how to glorify God in such deep trial. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea to say that after such tragedy, that's a glory to God. So it comes down to uniting our hearts because when we are in tragedy, our hearts are broken. They're in pieces and we need to find ways to unite them. So to unite my own heart, I first must realize the context for all of my experiences and that is discipleship. That's the context of everything that happens to me. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. So we've got this treasure in earthen vessels, and an earthen vessel, Jonathan, is fragile. It's fragile. And so the apostle talks about all of the things that happen, the afflictions and the, and, and the perplexing experiences and the persecutions and being struck down. But he's saying, but I'm always carrying with me the dying of Jesus. 
so that the life of Jesus is going to be manifest in me. I'm always remembering discipleship, and that helps me get through the things that break my heart. Because to reunite our hearts, to have our hearts unified, we need to focus on what the most important thing is. And Paul is really showing us, Rick, a fighter's mentality. Um, but he's so humble yeah. uh, in, in showing it. And, and that's important. And that's part of the secret. Again, the psalmist says in verse 11 of Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. In other words, I can't reverence you unless my heart is united and I'm having a hard time with that now. It's okay to have a hard time with it. That's where we learn to glorify God. So part of it is putting ourselves into that position of understanding it's all about our discipleship. Let's go back to that Christian vlogger and how to glorify God, the five ways. Um, He talked about uh, worship, love, and Christ-likeness as the first three. Let's hear number four. And this is what leads us to the fourth way to glorify God, which is by serving other people. One of my favorite quotes of all times comes from the movie Chariots of Fire. The movie is about a Christian runner who ran in the Olympics. And in this movie, Eric Liddell says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Our gifts and talents are part of what makes each of us uniquely separate and special. And when we use those gifts, not only for ourselves, but to serve a higher purpose, that's when we bring God glory. Paul put it this way, as each of us have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Okay, so serve others. Worship, love, Christ-likeness, and serve others. Sometimes, Jonathan, when our heart is in a broken state, when we ha- are going through a difficult, difficult trial, taking the, 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 the focus off yourself and putting it on someone else is That's a, huge. Yeah, it, it changes you. It does. It, it, it gives you purpose right. and it gives you direction to get you out of the mire of, of thinking of your own situation. Right, exactly, exactly. So let, let's continue with another suggestion on uniting our own hearts so that we can reverence God's name. So unite my own heart. Secondly, first was realize the context of everything is discipleship. Secondly, realize the purpose of our most difficult experiences. Well, what is that? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Okay, so we are in trial. Our tribulations, we exult in our, you know, we glory in our tribulations. Like, what are you, nuts? (laughs) And the answer is yes, because, and, and look. Honestly, most of us don't get to this point of glorying when we're going through it. Okay, let's, let's be honest. But the apostle is saying, look, our tribulations bring perseverance. And perseverance brings proven character. And proven character really makes hope come alive. And hope, when it's hope in God, never, ever is disappointing. Because God's love has been poured out in us 
and therefore his glory can reflect back to him through those trials. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's a great equation, right? All those it things is. happen. Okay, yes. but, but okay, now let's get practical. But what do we do when we can't see the development process of that previous scripture? Does our being lost in a trial still give glory to God? Well, Rick, we need to trust him or we can't trace him. Eventually, in hindsight, we can see the amazing lessons the Lord has taught us through trials and difficulties. We can still have faith and hope that the Lord will see us through. That glorifies God in itself. Okay, so you can still have faith and hope, but you're, you're not there yet. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're still questioning. You're still wondering. You still don't know the reason for the experience, and, right. and it's still overwhelming you. But you still know that somewhere out there, God is bigger. And if that's all you've got, that's a glory to God. That's right. Because that's all you can give him at that point, and that's good. Stay there. Keep going. What else? And that reminds me of the scripture, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. All things, even hardship. But Rick, what about, um, what doesn't uh, give glory to God is turning your back on God, throwing in the towel, walking away from your Christian walk because of difficulty. You know, that is really glorifying Satan because you've walked away because of disappointment. Yeah, you know, and, and, and sometimes we walk away and sometimes we rationalize our way into acting in a way that is inappropriate because we're in a, in a very, very bad spot. And we say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, thank God and, and rely on God, but I'm going to do this, and, and whatever you're going to do is not right. I have a short quote from a yeah. sermon I heard, and this is from Steve Sarasi. When we acquiesce to God's will, that honors him. Yeah, Uncle Steve. He passed away many, many years ago. When I was young, Uncle Steve was a powerful, powerful influence on me. When I was a young Christian and there were issues that, that I didn't understand why there were issues, and I, and you can tell, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very passionate. And as a kid, you can imagine, I was like bouncing off the walls. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, there, there would be issues and I would sit in front of him and say, I don't get it. I don't, why can't we just, and I mean, fire would be coming out of my eyes and smoke out of my ears. And he'd smile and he'd just let me go. And he'd say, very good. I, I, I love what you say. Now let, let's, now let's, let's think about this. And he'd break it down for me in steps that I could understand. He was a powerful influence on my life. So thank you for quoting him. I did not expect that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. A quote from Charles Spurgeon. All our actions, as well as our thoughts and words, should praise him always. Bless us. So the idea is everything that we say and do should be praising to God somehow. And even if it's not complete because we don't know the answer, as long as we're looking in hope, it still praises him. It still glorifies him. So let's go to another, just another praise break, if you will. Uh, this is a, a hymn called um, Praise You in This Storm from Casting Crowns. I was sure by now that you would have reached down and wiped our tears away Stepped in and saved the day But once again I say amen And it's still raining But as the thunder rolls I barely hear you whisper through the rain 
That is a powerful story. You know, I thought by now you would have come in and swooped in and wiped away our tears and saved us from this, this trauma and trial and difficulty and, 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 and the realization that I didn't get what I expected. I didn't get what I wanted, but I've got what I hoped for, a God whom I can trust no matter how bad the storm. I will praise you in this storm. And, you know, that reminds me of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's glorifying God. And folks, look, sometimes in our trials, we don't get it. We can't get it. It's too far away. It's okay. Because all we need to do is have that little bit of hope and a little bit of faith. And God can use that to help us to grow through it. Uniting our hearts. The Apostle Paul makes it a, a united heart very, very personal in this next verse. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and we'll, we'll take this one in pieces. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So the Apostle had something wrong. And he wants it gone because he's, he wants to work harder in God's service. And the man worked pretty hard, okay? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay? So, you know, he's going to God with this because it's, he's intense and it's so important to him. What happens? Verses 8 and 9. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. So he says, I went to the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. And this, this is the Apostle Paul. These are not three little, dear Lord, please help me with this. Amen. You know, not little prayers like that. This is intense requesting from the Apostle Paul to God through Christ. And Jesus' answer is, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be perfected in your weakness. Let me be strong while you are weak. And what's his response? Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when we are in our times of trial and great, great difficulty, let's remember the apostle's attitude here to take it and apply it to whatever measure that we can and realize that when we're weak, that means that automatically our own strength can't do it. That's a good thing. If, if we reach out to let the strength of God through Christ do it for us. 
help us, hold us, guide us, direct us, and give us that courage to take the next step. So what's our giving God glory lesson here in dealing with the deep trials of life? Even when faced with the deepest of trials, we can still choose a single heart and single-minded approach. We in this darkness give glory to God's everlasting love. So this is about God's love, because when we are tried most severely is when his love shines most brightly. So if we can glorify God in these circumstances, we surely can do it in the rest of our lives. Our character and our deepest trials can glorify God. What about all of the things that we do? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. We have seen our responsibility to give glory to his eternal justice by being patient with his plan. Glory to his eternal wisdom by becoming who we are called to be. And glory to his eternal love by his overruling care in our deepest trials. There's one thing left. Giving glory to his eternal power. Because these are the four attributes of God. Justice, wisdom, power, and love. And in each of these is a is a conduit through which we can find a way to pass glory on up and back to God. So back to Psalm 86. Uh, uh, Jonathan, let's just read verse 9, then verse 10, then verse 11, uh, because those are the three verses that we covered in three previous segments, and then we'll focus on 12. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. So there's a big picture of glory being given to God on a worldwide scale. Verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Who else could get all the nations to worship him like that? There's just one God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. I need help getting my heart united to stand before you. And now verse 12. I will give thanks to you. O Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. I will give thanks to you with all my heart. Previous verse was, Dear Lord, help me unite it. I need help. Here, it's I will give thanks to you with all of my heart. Mission accomplished. My heart is now focused and it's together and now I can really stay with living a glorifying God life. And that's just such a powerful, powerful thing. And, and you know, it makes you just want to, to, to stop and praise. So let's do that. How can I keep? How can I keep? How can I keep from singing? My life flows on in endless song. Above us, lamentation. I hear the sweet, hear the sweet, the far off, the far off here that hails a new, 
a new creation through all the tumult in the strife. I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? Man, how can I keep from singing? That's where we want to be. All right, Trish is back. She's got... Oh, okay. No, she's not back yet. I mean, she's back, but not yet. I got it. (laughs) She was up there lip syncing the song, though. I'll tell you. She was just really into it. I like that. I love that song. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll come back to another verse later on. Um, But Jonathan... It's about a united heart before God. And, you know, and now what do we do with that? It's not just the feeling. That's the point. Once my heart is united within myself, I now proceed by uniting with others of the same heart and mind so I can do something about it. Glorifying God is not how you feel. It's what you do. It's how you act. It, it, it's, the, it's the message that you send out with your life. Romans 15, uh, verses 6 through 9. We'll take that in a couple of pieces. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Okay, this is a beautiful thing. With one accord, you may with one voice. You know, when there's harmony, like we just heard in, in, in that hymn, that's one voice. Beautiful. That's one voice on several levels. But the, the, the beauty of harmony is that it's like it, it belongs together. Even though you hear all of those voices and you say those are different voices. No, 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 no. They are one voice that is unified to this incredible praise. And that's what this verse is saying, that you with one accord, with one voice, with God our Father and our Lord Jesus, you accept one another because... Here's why you need to do it. I don't care if you don't like your brother. This is what he's saying. Jesus accepted you to the glory of God. You, therefore, work with each other. Verses 8 and 9. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. So he's talking to the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and they had issues, and he's saying, get over it. You need to glorify God by acting and working and being together. So, Trish, you're here now with a uh, comment from one of our, actually one of our uh, Christian Questions contributors. Yes, I am. Okay. I'm sorry, the light is a little dark over here. Let me move. (laughs) I can't see anything. It says, For myself, I think of glorifying God as the purpose behind all of our actions. Glorifying God is something that can be determined by our talents, but also our time. How we use our time in service of him or his people in the church or otherwise. And with the decisive mindset that what we are doing is for him makes it no longer about ourselves. So, you know, thanks, Trish, for that. And, and I know you've got another comment, so stick around. Um, but, you know, the, the, the point is that what we do, and if somebody says, wow, great job, 
Okay, yeah, okay, maybe you did a great job. It's nothing wrong with doing a great job. As a matter of fact, do a great job. But just remember who gave you the strength, who gave you the opportunity, who gave you the overruling, who gave you the spirit and the wisdom to be able to do it. It wasn't me. <laughs> it was God through All Jesus. All the glory goes to God. That's right. Always has, always should. That's how we want it to be working in every day of our lives. So really important, pull ourselves together in what we do, even if we have those issues, it's the body of Christ that we're talking about here. So let, go ahead. Well, Rick, I was thinking about one of the examples of Jesus always giving the glory to God. That was in John eleven forty one and 42. This is when Jesus raised Lazarus. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that I have, that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of those people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. So, Rick, he gave the glory to God where it belongs. Right. And, and, you know, and that was the most amazing miracle of his entire three and a half years of ministry. And he publicly says, I want them to see it's you, not me. Right. That's how you do great things and give great honor to our great father. So let's go back to that Christian vlogger, his last of his five ways to glorify God. He had worship, love, Christ-likeness, serve others, and now we're on to way number five. And last but not least, we bring glory to God by telling other people about him. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15 talks about when we share God's grace to those around us, it leads to the greater glory of God. By us sharing the gospel with others and introducing them to Jesus, then we get to participate in the plan of salvation in helping to prepare people for eternity. Okay, so witness. Put yourself out there. It's another way to give glory to God. Uh, Jonathan, before we get to our next scripture, Trish, I want Trish to bring that next comment, uh, again, from another one of our Christian Questions contributors. Yes, it says, you can glorify God in your prayer life. It's what you say to God, including your doubts and fears, because it shows your heart honesty. You can glorify God in your thoughts and actions if you think and do the Lord's will. You glorify God in your studies as God communicates with you. You can even glorify God when you are depressed, if you look to God and you still do these things. So, you know, there's some great, thank you, Trish, there's some really terrific wisdom in those comments. And I, and I love the thought that study is God's communication with you. Oh, me too. That was awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, because I, in, in the world in which we live, you know, it's like, you know, we can say, well, you know, God spoke to me. Really? And, and how did he do that? Well, it was a voice. Well, I'd be really careful about that. <laughs> but if you say God spoke to me, you say, how do you do that? Well, I was reading Psalm 34 and I read those verses, you know, like when I was reading Psalm 86, what jumped out at me was unify my heart and thinking, oh, wait, see that to me, that's how God speaks to us. It's through the scriptures. It's through giving us an understanding and helping us see what they can bring to us. So what do we do? This is how we glorify God. It's in what we do. Next, we, you know, first, you know, it was proceeding uh, by uniting with others. Once our own heart is united, unite with others of the same heart and mind. Next, we thoroughly monitor our actions so they will bring glory to God. Monitor your actions. That means, Jonathan, just because you feel it doesn't mean you ought to do it. Okay. That's right. <laughs> in this world, that's... That, that's so true. <laughs> so 1 Peter 4, 11 to 14, and then verse 16. 
Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right. And I say amen to that as well. That was First Peter 4, 11, uh, verse 11. And, and you know what he's saying? Look, when you speak, and you said something very similar to this earlier in the podcast. When you speak, make sure those are godly words. When you serve, make sure it's a godly service. When you supply, make sure it's in godliness so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and because that's where the glory belongs. Too much of Christianity gets focused on doing things and receiving applause and receiving the pat on the back and receiving the adulation and all that. And look, it's okay to congratulate someone and to say to them, you know, how much their service meant. And it, those are good things. You know, and, and, and Jonathan, we could, we, could, we could go down the road of, I'm never going to say anything good to anybody so they don't take the glory. Now, oh, that's, that's an extreme the wrong way. <laughs> and it is. It is an extreme. The point is to be honest with one another and, and to allow... See, if we don't praise someone for doing a good job with something, what we're, what we're, what we're stifling is a little bit more of the reflection of the glory of God. Put, put it out. And, and let them say, thanks, really appreciate that, I worked really hard, and by God's grace it happened. Because there it is, there's the reflection of God's glory, and there's the encouragement and the reflection both at the same time. I mean, how powerful is that? That's but, huge. Okay, so again, we're reminded of the God-glorifying value of our trials. Now we're in First Peter chapter 4, now we're on verses 12 uh, to 14, and then verse 16. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you are the sharing in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be put to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. You know, and it's interesting in this. Peter doesn't say, "Look, if you suffer as a Christian, don't worry; it'll go away." He doesn't say that. He's saying, you know, uh, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, you can keep on rejoicing. He doesn't say that the suffering is going to go away. He doesn't say it's going to all work out just fine for you. It might not. The point is, you glorify God whether it works out or not. That's the beauty of being able to, to live a life of Christ-likeness, glorifying God. So let's go do that one more time with the last verse of How Can I Keep from Singing. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart A fountain never springs all things are mine since I am his. How can I keep from singing since Christ is Lord? Christ is Lord. Love heaven and earth. Love heaven and 
How can you keep from singing? Well, look, here's what it comes down to. Sometimes life doesn't work out like a song. Sometimes life is a nightmare. Sometimes life is full of tragedy. Doesn't mean you still can't have that song in your heart, even if it's really quiet and really unsure. Just that little bit of hope, that little bit of faith can give God a foothold. What's our final giving God glory lesson? Well, Rick, we glorify God's power by selflessly co-laboring with one another in faith and by actually trying to live up to his standards. Both of these things are beyond natural means. And isn't that the point of a life that glorifies God? It's not through natural means. Let's just understand it. If, it, if we're thinking that we're going to feel it and then we're going to do it, think again, because life doesn't work that way. Life comes at us from all different directions and breaks us down and knocks us down and causes us to doubt doesn't mean we stop glorifying God. Faith, hope, and love. We find those things, we find someone to work with and to to fellowship with, and find that little crack of light that may be long far in the distance. But in that little crack of light in the distance, what we see is an opportunity to give glory to our Heavenly Father. And folks, when you live a life of giving glory to God, you're living a good, good life. And through a good life, You can be a reflection of God's glory and his praise and his honor. And what is better than that? For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed talking to you about a thoroughly inspiring subject about giving glory to God and and just living and basking in what it means on a daily basis in what we say, what we do, and what we think. So until next week, give glory. Think about it. Folks, look, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. Whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about where is the kingdom Jesus taught us to pray for. Talk to you next week. <laughs> 